Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. You all know that Joe Biden is scheduled to be inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States on January 20th. And if you've listened to this podcast over the course of 2020, you've done some thinking about what tax legislation might look like under a Biden administration. We've talked about what might happen. We've talked about how soon that might happen. And we've talked about how likely it is that legislation might happen. But here's a question. How much have you thought about what a Biden treasury might look like? How about the process of a transition from a Trump treasury team to a Biden team? Or how about the transition from a Trump regulatory agenda to a Biden regulatory agenda? Well, we are quite literally in the midst of that transition right now, one that has potential to have profound consequences for the U.S. tax system. So it would be great to know how that transition might play out and how to get a better sense of that than talking to someone who lived through just such a transition. Well, I can tell you what's better than that. How about talking to two people who can tell us what those Treasury transitions are like? To that end, I'm pleased to welcome back to our podcast, Tom West. Tom is a principal here in KPMG's Washington National Tax, and prior to that was Tax Legislative Counsel at Treasury in both the Obama and the Trump Treasury Departments. And importantly for our discussion today, was also Acting Assistant Secretary for Tax Policy during the Obama to Trump transition. Next, I'd like to welcome Hannah Hawkins. Hannah is also a principal here in Washington National Tax and has been for, oh, I don't know, several days now. <laughs> Hannah just weeks ago left Treasury where she was Deputy Tax Legislative Counsel, and her Treasury Office of Tax Policy Experience also carries back into the Obama administration. So today, not one, but two guests who went through the last Treasury transition back in late 2016, early 2017. So. Tom, let me start with a question to you, and it's really about the transition itself. How does an outgoing Treasury team, as they're getting ready to walk out the door, prioritize work during this transition period? Does it change, or do they just pretty much carry on business as usual? No, John, I don't think it would be business as usual. It wasn't at the end of the Obama administration, and from the outside looking in at the end of the Trump administration, it doesn't appear to be. I think any administration is going to have a push on its final priorities to get things done. This administration, of course, is pushing on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act implementation. But outside of the regulations and the guidance, there's also a lot of things that Treasury and the Office of Tax Policy do that are not necessarily guidance. They have public reports that they put out. They have position papers. There's a lot of interesting work that happens in a Treasury Department that is not necessarily public-facing all of the time or things that contribute to the dialogue in the future. All of that stuff, I remember a real scramble at the end of the last administration to get a lot of that out the door. It's interesting because, first of all, after the election, it's not like, well, this is over. I guess we're done now. It's really, in some ways, the opposite, I guess, what you're saying, Tom, is there's a lot of unfinished work and they're trying to get done what they can. And also, let's remind people, we did a separate episode months ago on the Congressional Review Act, which kind of gets at that process of getting what some people call midnight regulations out the door and how it potentially interacts with Congressional Review Act or potential review by a future Treasury. So it's a really interesting time. People should definitely be paying attention to because some important things obviously happened at the end of an administration. Okay. So Hannah, let me just ask you a practical question. What about people? You know, as I think we've seen, at least I feel like I've observed over time and the years that I've watched administrations come and go, it seems like people start to leave during the end of an administration. Has that been your observation? And if that's true, does it make things harder to get things done if people are now trying to consider what their next move might be? 
Yes and no. I mean, I think you first have to sort of differentiate between the people at Treasury. There's the political people. I mean, obviously, the secretary and the other Senate confirmed political people like the assistant secretary for tax policy. But there are also at various times more or less of these people, deputy assistant secretaries, special advisors and special counsels and people like that who are part of the decision making process. And at the end of administration, typically all of those people have to leave. In the Trump administration, the political chain of command was pretty lean in terms of the tax policy making. So there was the secretary and then the assistant secretary and the general counsel who were very involved in the decision making process, but there weren't a lot of extra people. And so I don't know if that's going to make a difference in terms of people leaving and the decision making and the work getting done. But I don't imagine either the secretary or the assistant secretary are going to make an early exit to the extent that those two people are there. I think a lot of the work will continue as usual because the career staff, which is most of the people there will, for the most part, stay. That's the lawyers, economists, and also everybody over at IRS Office of Chief Counsel. So really important distinction, and thank you for making that. The answer to that question that I ask, it depends a lot on who we're talking about, and you might get different outcomes for the political people versus the career people. I thought also thought it was a really interesting observation that you made about the Trump treasury seemed to run leaner than we have historically seen. So that's another important point in terms of what a future treasury might look like. So Tom, coming back then to the incoming administration, based on what Hannah just informed us of, let's dig into that a little bit more. We've got career people, we've got political people. So then as the incoming administration looks at building out its treasury team, what positions in the Office of Tax Policy specifically then are they looking to fill? The Office of Tax Policy, as you and Hannah both observed, have more or less in terms of political appointees. There's one Senate-confirmed position, and that's the Assistant Secretary for Tax Policy. So I think any administration that comes in probably begins filling its tax function at Treasury by finding someone for that role. And whoever she or he might be would then kind of backfill the team that they put together. And that team could include Deputy Assistant Secretaries, usually in the past, there have been up to three or four of those. During the Trump administration, I think there were only two. So that's the kind of thing where you might see more people staffing up if the Biden administration has a more proactive tax agenda in some ways than the Trump administration had. And there's usually anywhere two to three special advisors or senior counsels to the assistant secretary who also have maybe a specific tax portfolio that they might supervise. In the Obama administration, I recall there was somebody who kind of had the Affordable Care Act and tax aspects of the Affordable Care Act within his purview, and that was a political position. So I would expect anywhere from five up to eight political people to be moving into a Biden tax department at the Office of Tax Policy. So, okay, the political people are not just the Senate-confirmed ones, which, as you said, is the assistant secretary. It's also the deputy assistant secretary level would be not Senate-confirmed, but still viewed as a political appointee. So then give me an example of who are the career positions in the Office of Tax Policy. Just give us an idea of who some of those people or the roles might be. So when I was at the Office of Tax Policy, I was not a political appointee. I had a significant role as tax legislative counsel. I had a counterpart who was international tax counsel and another one who was benefits tax counsel. And so those are three of the management roles. Overall, the Office of Tax Policy, when I was there, we had between 110 people in that entire office. I think maybe in the Trump administration, that got down to maybe 90 people. But of all of those people, five or six might be political appointees. The other hundred or so are career staff who carry over across administrations. 
Okay, so Hannah, talk to me about that because during the transition, you were a career person. What was that like? And is it pencils down, everybody? Put away that project. We've got new projects for you. What is it like to carry over the dynamic from one administration to the next? It's interesting. I'll say that. From my recollection, there was an initial period where there was, um, I guess it was called the landing team. They were a group of people identified by the transition team to come and sort of figure out the building and how it worked and what we were working on. I didn't have a lot of contact with them. And I think that they sort of did their business a little quickly. And then I also remember a lot of gossiping among the career staff about what was happening, who was coming, what was going to happen when they came. So there was a period of time where we were all sort of sitting around and waiting. Certainly after the assistant secretary is confirmed and in the building, things really start to fall into place after that. And the process gets built up and you start to figure out where you're going, what to do, what's happening. And you start to have a lot of meetings with the new people and just figure out that system all over again. But meanwhile, as that's happening, life goes on. You're still working on the projects you're working on and you continue until it's done or somebody tells you to move on to a different project. Is that right? As far as regulations that might be of policy interest to one administration or another, there's probably going to be a pause on a lot of that type of work. A lot of the day-to-day IRS priorities can still get done. And until there is an assistant secretary in the building, I don't think a final regulation can go out. So just from a practical standpoint, until the political appointees are in the building, there is a limitation on what sort of guidance the Treasury can put out. I think overall... I mean, I agree with with Hannah's perspective, but I think there was a sense of pencils down at the beginning of the Trump administration. Frankly, there was skepticism. Maybe this is common. That's the only transition I went through. But there was skepticism about what the career staff had been working on. And so understandably, any new administration wants to take a look at the projects that people are working on currently, maybe take a look back at some of the John, you described them as midnight regulations, some of the recent guidance that the Treasury Department has put out. In particular, at the beginning of the Trump administration, you'll recall that we had an executive order. We at the Treasury Department were told to go back and look at every regulation the Obama administration had put out in 2016 and make an assessment as to whether or not the Trump administration wanted to undo that. I don't know that a Biden administration would take that same approach, but I would expect that they would look back at some of the recent guidance put out and decide whether or not it's something that they want to revisit. And then it takes time, as Hannah said, for all of the new political people to get into the building, to understand the processes by which rulemaking is done, to understand you know, the dynamic between the Office of Tax Policy and the IRS and IRS Chief Counsel, which are critical players in any kind of tax decision making. And so I would expect in the new administration, you see a lull at least in what's happening in the public. Below the surface, everybody will be paddling ferociously, but you might not see a lot of public stuff coming out for a time as they kind of reset their agenda, reset their priorities. Well, you both read my mind because you kind of got to a question I wanted to get to. So let me just ask it now then identifying those priorities. You've got the first 100 days. People always talk about the first 100 days. We don't have to speculate on what it's going to be like starting in January, but maybe we can talk a little bit about the way it was back in 2017 and your experience. How does a new team come in and identify what their regulatory priority should be for this incoming team? I don't know that the transition from the Obama administration to the Trump administration is necessarily representative. What I saw in the last transition was, from a tax perspective anyway, the focus was not on what the new administration necessarily wanted to do. It was really a focus on what the Obama administration had 
done. You recall the Trump administration's first priority was a deregulatory kind of message. And so that was what the first 100 days were about in my mind. And then on the tax front, things quickly moved to talk of tax reform. And that became the priority from a tax perspective for the new administration. So there was never a regulatory agenda in my mind, except for revisiting the old regulations. I would expect the new administration would have a different approach. I agree with that. In the last administration, during the transition, the emphasis seemed to be on deregulation in a broad sense, certainly in burden reduction, thinking through regulatory frameworks like the two for one. We spent a lot of time thinking about the regs we'd put out and which ones could have put undue burdens on taxpayers and trying to identify them and report up and back to OMB about those. That took a lot of time. There was another executive order about undoing burdens associated with the Affordable Care Act. And there was a lot of tax pieces to the Affordable Care Act. And so there was a lot of time spent going through Affordable Care Act regulations and guidance and thinking about how that could work. So that actually was a lot of time spent on sort of thinking through both deregulation broadly and things like lessening perceived burdens associated with the Affordable Care Act. You know, that reminds me of one other important change that Trump administration really did as part of the regulatory environment. And we've called it, they really enhanced the role of OIRA in reviewing tax regulations. That was a big change, not totally viewed as good by everybody. So maybe Tom, ask you this question. Do you think that's something that is now here to stay or is that going to get another look, do you think, by either this or other future administrations? I mean, I personally hope that it does get another look. I understand that the executive office of the president as an OMB have an important role in all of the guidance that an administration puts out. And I certainly don't think that they shouldn't be a part of that. I think historically, the tax rules in general were given certain leniency in terms of the things that needed to be reviewed by OIRA just because of the technical nature of the rules. And we don't have to get into all of the people talk about exceptionalism. I'm not talking about that. I guess what I'd say is the formality that this administration and their OIRA department imposed on that review process was not additive in what I saw to making rules better. And it slowed things down significantly and consumed a lot of resources that could have been used elsewhere. And so I would hope that the next administration would take a look at that and say, is there a better way to do this? Not necessarily to scrap the whole dynamic, because historically, even in the Obama administration, when there were important politically sensitive rules that we were working on at Treasury, we were very coordinated and in sync with the relevant components of the administration, whether it was DPC or NEC or other agencies. We were always in sync with those and felt we should be, and we made the rulemaking better. I think the current administration kind of used the OIRA process to pull all of the rulemaking into a more political process that I don't think was helpful. So I hope the new administration will look at that. Well, that's interesting. You know, I think we all as practitioners were very curious to see this additional step added to the regulatory process, which is obviously pretty burdensome already. And so it was something that I think we slowly became accustomed to, although never totally fully embraced. So that would be interesting to see what a incoming Biden administration might do with that. Okay, one last question for you both. We talked about some of the positions that have to be filled. How long do you think that's going to take, right? How long are we talking about? You know, January 20th is the inauguration. Are these people sitting at their desks on January 21st, or is it going to take longer than that? 
I suspect it takes a little bit longer than that. Historically, the process is buried. In the Trump administration, it took a long time to get an assistant secretary for tax policy in place. I suspect what we've seen from the Biden transition team, they're very focused on getting people in place and focused on institutional experience. They're confronting an ongoing health and economic crisis. So I would expect that they want their teams in place as soon as possible. So it can happen January 21st, but I bet it doesn't take until June. I think it's hard to say, and I think it's hard to get political people in place sometimes. What I would say on that point is that the career staff that's there, which at the point we've already made that it's most of the people there, career staff, are super smart and they're ready to work on whatever the new administration wants them to work on. They have great institutional knowledge, and I think the career staff like that, I think things could get going pretty quickly, but it's just a matter of getting those political pieces in place. I think everybody would be anxious, you know, with empty chairs and empty desks, they don't help anybody. So the sooner they get the people in place and Treasury can start running efficiently, that would be good. And one of the interesting things that we'll be looking for is when that Treasury team comes in, looking back at some of the TCJA guidance and some of those regulations specifically, and how they're going to view those is obviously going to be one of the storylines of 2021. Well, that's all for this week. In closing, just a reminder, we talk so much about tax policy here. And look, that's an important part of the tax law, but it's definitely not everything. We also say that tax politics matter a lot too. As we've said here before, the best policy proposal in the world is meaningless without the political will to get it done. And hey, I'm looking at you, value-added tax people. But today's discussion adds an important third dimension to that. It's not just policy. It's not just politics. It's also people. The people matter because they each bring their own priorities, their own agendas, and their own expertise into the tax-making mix. And it's really those three things that come together to make the holy trinity of how tax law gets done. And so with that, we'll be watching closely as the Biden Treasury team takes shape. Thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. We hope to be back to you before the year end with an update on the tax contents of a year-end COVID relief bill. Until then, take care, and I hope to see you soon. 